This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Welcome to Full Mutuality. I'm Gail. I'm Nate. And on today's show, I don't know where to start. My God. Okay. Yeah, it's been two weeks and it has been quite a two weeks. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, a lot has been going on. The evangelical world is aflame, as always, uh, since we dropped our Asbury episode. Um, so we want to try to kind of touch on as much of it as we can, um, at least the highlights. <laughs> yeah. If you're new yeah. to the show, I know we had a lot of new listeners after our last episode, and I want to start off by saying we're glad you found us. And thank you so much for all of the kind feedback that we received. We mm-hmm. love hearing all of your encouraging words, and we just got so much of it on the last show, and it, it meant a lot, a, a lot yeah, to the both of us. Thank you all. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for this episode, though, um, I think... I think we can go ahead and do like an introduction <laughs> 20, yeah. 28 episodes in um, yep. and we're like nearing the end of our first season. But but here's an episode to kind of talk about us. Um, sort of want to let you all know what we're about. Um, there are a lot of really good podcasts in this whole like post evangelical deconstruction world. Yeah, uh, we there's also to a lot of them. Yeah. And we talk about a lot of them on here too. We do, and and there are also some uh, some pretty uh, pretty shitty ones out there as well. But, yeah, you right. could you could leave the church and still take evangelicalism with you. That's important. Mm-hmm. And sometimes sometimes it's a lot to navigate all of it. Yeah, um, it, it is disorienting uh, to come out of evangelicalism as you're sort of deconstructing your faith. Because um, one of the things that, especially for me, I, I don't know if this is the same thing for you all, but. Uh, when you're coming out of the evangelical world, uh, actually, I know it's the same thing for you all because I know what your pastors preach. You have a blueprint. You have like, you know, the basic instructions before leaving earth, as they like to say about the Bible. And this is how you're supposed to think. This is how you're supposed to view the world. And then when you leave that, now now that blueprint is gone and now you don't have like a, a guidebook for how you're supposed to navigate the world outside of evangelicalism. So you've got to learn how to trust yourself. You've got to learn how to uh, listen to your gut and trust your critical thinking skills. Um, things that we were uh, kind of, that were kind of frowned upon in the evangelical world. And and we, we were actively told to not employ those things while we were in those places. Lean not on your own understanding. Mm-hmm. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct, he, your pastor, will direct, mm-hmm. I mean, God will direct your path. <laughs> and, and there's so many different paths that you can venture onto as you try and learn who you are you know, learning to trust yourself and how you want to think through things. And there isn't one voice out here in the deconstruction spaces, but there's just so many schools of thoughts with people who are coming to so many different conclusions on things. I think that's why I get frustrated with these people with their deconstruction takes who are, um, who are very evangelical and frustrated by the movement is they're like, you know, (laughs) you know, like this is where you're going to land if you deconstruct. And I kind of see deconstruction a little bit like the democratic party, because like the Democrats are just in the U S they're all over the map. Like there's not one school of thought. And that's probably the biggest struggle of the democratic party is that they can't get their crap together because they're just, they have too much, like they're trying to cover too many different grounds with too many different Mm -hmm. voices and opinions. Right. So that works against them in, in, in the political sphere. 
but in this world, I think it's it's actually healthy to yeah. to have a plethora of ideas. And some ideas are shitty. Let's mm-hmm. let's be real. The, the the deconstruction world is not full of great ideas. Um, but one of the beauties of this world is that all ideas are welcome and we can we can have good dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And and we wanted to let you know what makes us well, us. <laughs> yeah. And um, kind of how we're different from some of those other uh exactly. other deconstruction. Yeah, and we can maybe get into how your co-hosts met each other. Um, how do we come to name this podcast? We mm, want you to get I know, to know. I know those stories. You do? You do know? <laughs> <laughs> you know these stories because you were part of it. <laughs> oh, man, we're getting silly. All right, so yeah. we're going to go in a, in a bit of a different direction than we usually do. Normally, we have a guest, and today I'm hoping that as we cover some of the goings-on in the evangelical world, um, that maybe we can tie it a bit into our own story. We can give you a glimpse of who we are, why we do this. Um, everything from the latest uh, new Hillsong damaging stuff that's been coming out on them mm. and the do- the documents of financial fraud. We'll cover some of that to the Southern Southern Baptist Convention kicking out Rick Warren's church for being egalitarian, for putting women in charge, to the latest Gospel Coalition nonsense and their awful sex orgasm what? article. We're gonna we're gonna go Jesus all over. We're gonna get orgasms. into all of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I I do want to maybe take just a couple of minutes and kind of pick up where we left off last time with the Asbury revival. Um, you, I I know oh, you had some yes. final thoughts on that that you uh, Asbury, yeah. yeah. The world has completely changed since that big miraculous revival event. It no, has. I'm, I'm just kidding. Nobody's talking about it anymore. It just came <laughs> and went. I, I did see a few copycat schools talking about how God was at work. Um, I think you sent me some links to some places trying to create their own revivals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really do think the optics of all this are fascinating. Uh, like, like example, one of the reasons it even picked up any traction at all is because it wasn't a charismatic uh, university. And because charismatics have revival all the time. They're not all over the place. It's not like, oh, look, God is at work. There's more revivals like there is yeah. all the time, many that's, times that's a year. sort of part and parcel of, of the charismatic world. Although right. I do find it funny that despite the fact that Asbury is not a charismatic school, um, they are kind of known for revivals, as we yes, learned from our last episode. We did. We get into all of that in our last episode. If you tune into that, um, you totally know that this is a regular occurrence of there's something they do. And and it's frustrating because they were trying to present past this office this unplanned and spontaneous event. And also, <laughs> I mean, let's not forget that it's a bunch of white people. Like in a lot, even non-charismatic spaces that are Latinx or in black churches, revivals are are even outside of charismatic spaces. It's it's more common. Um, but it's interesting that the focus and news became on this gathering of white young people having this yeah. revival. And I don't think had the had the situation been different, it would have picked up the steam that it did. Um, no, probably not. Yeah. And I, and I think another thought that I learned about that I forgot to mention was how much people were pushing this as a Gen Z movement um, rather than acknowledging how much the adults were working this situation to appear that way. So like at one point during the height of this with everyone coming into Asbury uh, from all over the world, like, you know, <laughs> people loading up their vans with young adults to bring them there. Well, we're going to we're going to motivate our young people. Um, one of the things that I found online was kind of telling people, if you're going to show up at Asbury, here's some things you need to know. And one of the things they listed off is that if you're under age 25, they'll let you in pretty much right away. They were trying to fill up the space with as many young people as they could. And then 
if you were over age 25, there was a different lineup that could, and this wasn't throughout the whole revival, but especially as it picked up steam and people were coming in from all over and it got bigger and bigger, they had a second line for people over 25. And the the the, <laughs> the person writing this that was kind of letting people know what to expect and what to prepare for was saying like, you could have an eight hour lineup if you're over 25. So be prepared for that. So they were deliberately limiting the older people. And while this can be seen in a positive light, like, oh, look, the organizers are trying to honor the spirit of this being a university event look they're trying to reflect the student body i think there's something to be said about manipulating the optics when the narrative Mm -hmm. you're trying to paint is look this is not something that's you know organized by the 40 something year olds like myself or even older people um they're not the ones trying to create this but it's a gen z it's a gen z that led thing like that's the excitement look at the young people they're catching a fire for god um ignoring kind of the role (laughs) of how this is being orchestrated basically mm-hmm. and there's a lot of different moving parts in an event like this um that people don't even realize that create a certain look and try and paint a very specific narrative uh our last episode gets into the other parts of the adult ma- manipulation element of all the organization that did happen to make this go down but i think i don't know i think that's all i really had to say about asbury if you tuned in because you listened last week and you're wondering if we're gonna go back into it i think I think I've wrapped up my thoughts, but if you did want to hear more other thoughts on this, I had some recommendations. Um, our friend Scott Okamoto from Chapel Probation, his season two wrap up. He it's a short episode, but he covers this. Um, and he's it's really uh, it's very to the point on how we were feeling with all of this. So mm-hmm. if you appreciated what we were saying, I would say go check that one out. Yeah, yeah. And I, I also had highly recommend his podcast in general. Um, and the whole As- Asbury University kind of fits within the topic of his podcast. And yes. we've talked about his podcast a lot on on our on right. our show because we're good friends with with Scott. Um, I, I also wanted to mention um, the I think it's the seventy fourth episode episode number seventy four of the Thereafter podcast. Um, and it's not in the title because the topic of the of the actual episode is something else. But they do talk about it um, at at the beginning of their episode before they get into the their conversation with their guest. Um, mm-hmm. And they kind of hand, like I thought they did a good job of approaching um, the topic of, of the Asbury yeah. revival. Yeah. And they didn't they did it right away. Like mm-hmm. not like us yeah. where we had a lot of time to reflect on it. They kind of came out of the gate with swinging. (laughs) And I think both Cortland and Megan both had some really good things to say. I'm not going to, you know, go over everything they said. I think you should check it out. Mm -hmm. But I, I I just want to highlight, I really appreciated, appreciated Cortland's thoughts on how good things can come out of harmful environments and weighing out the overall of what comes out of something. Like what's the mass input of these types of movements and are Mm -hmm. people being harmed or manipulated? He, he goes into that stuff. Megan, she brought in her own past experience inside evangelicalism and that link from her own life and how the January 6th insurrection was a big wake-up call for her and how it links to things like Asbury. People wouldn't make yeah. that connection. Um, yeah. But she got into how these giant revival services are used and have been used in things like past elections in her life, um, taking this sort of momentum from these types of events to go in a very particular direction. And I think mm-hmm. it's worth asking what is the direction that these yeah. events are trying to take? What are, where, where's, where's that momentum going? What yeah. are they trying to push? Yeah, because they're all you always hear them like, oh, you know, God is doing a new thing. He's changing the country because of what we're doing. But what is he changing it into? What are you yes. hoping that, that they're going to change yes. the country into? Yeah. And Francis Chan even made notes of the direction of the nation. And mm-hmm. and we'd love to know what direction. Because yeah. Francis has a direction. <laughs> well, yep. we know. Exactly. We know his direction. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, they're, they're um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think it's also worth noting that at the time that Megan and Cortland released their episode, they didn't have all of the information that eventually came out by the time that we released ours. So they were they were using uh, they were putting on those critical thinking caps yep. that uh, that got taken away from us in, in evangelicalism, and they thought they they analyzed the situation well, given the time the the giving the timing of their episode and giving the information that they had at the time. And we can all do that. I think we can we can use that as a guide for mm-hmm. how we analyze the 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 evangelical world and how and even even the the deconstruction world. Let's put our critical thinking caps on. Yes. And let's let's do our homework. Let's yep. not just blindly accept stuff because so and so says it's true or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are some some great thoughts on the matter. Those two those two podcasts we recommend. If you want to hear some terrible thoughts on the matter, go check out Christianity Today's article um, that Russell Moore called "Celebrating Revival in a Cynical Age." <laughs> uh, we really need more Russell Moore in the world. <laughs> Well, I wanted to get into this briefly because it's a gross narrative. And I think one of the things that motivates me with regard to podcasting in general um, is the way certain marginalized groups have their stories told by someone else and they get gaslit. And that's what gets me riled up like that. That is something about Asbury that was just eating away at me. Um, And here's what I mean by the Christianity Today article. He claims most people think of cynical as the opposite of naive when really it's just another way of being naive. (laughs) I mean, he says the cynical display a lazy mindset as one not doing the hard work of testing the spirits. He calls the cynical a fighting spirit with a broken heart. Uh, I mean, there's there's so much in there, but like, I guess I'm just going to latch on to um, like broken heart, like as if that's a, that's a deficiency of some kind, like, you know, having a broken heart about something. Look, even Hillsong. Their their famous their famous song Hosanna, break my heart for what breaks mm-hmm. yours. These people talk out both sides of their mouths all the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and like you know having like not having a broken heart over things as if as if having a, an uncaring heart is somehow um, a sign of strength or uh, <laughs> or clear-headed objectiveness right right like as if jesus didn't have a broken heart at the horrible things going on around him Mm -hmm. as if he never showed a fighting spirit jesus never flipped over tables nate i mean Mm. and i think it it really boils down to how a lot of white men think they view themselves as very clear-minded because they walk away from things that should break their hearts totally unmoved and they think that somehow the less emotionalness they have is because they're grounded like that's right. the picture they get of themselves from. Right, from that. right. Yep. I see, I've seen that in so many areas. Uh, it reminds me of this post I read um, years ago, and I don't even remember where it came from. I just had copied and pasted it somewhere. But um, it, it said, when you debate a person about something that affects them more than it affects you, remember that it'll take much greater emotional toll on them than on you. For you, it might feel like an academic exercise, but for them, it feels like revealing their pain only to have you dismiss their experience and sometimes their humanity. The fact that you might remain more calm under these circumstances is a consequence of your privileged, not of increased objectivity on your part. Stay humble. (laughs) Yeah, I love that quote. And it, it really does. I've been in those scenarios where like, I'm sitting down with somebody who, you know, advised me not to get divorced and encouraged me to stay in a in a bad marriage that wasn't good for either of us. And 
Um, and uh, they're happy about how our conversation has gone down. And to them, it's it's just a philosophical exercise. Meanwhile, I'm laying out all of my trauma and my pain in that conversation. But it's in their mind, it's like, hey, this is a good, we had a good chat, you know? And mm-hmm. and for you, it's like, I'm I'm pouring out to you my my real like you have a you have a theological position i have a lived experience mm-hmm. and it's not reflecting what you have taught and it's actually caused me a ton of harm yeah and this, you it's just let's just debate and discuss this this is yeah. fun yeah I, I would i would say like um an admonition if you're listening to us and you're a white person and you get into a conversation about race with a non-white person tread carefully mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is not a philosophical conversation for the other person this yeah. is a conversation about their lives yeah yeah. Yeah. You and I have a lot of conversations like that. And I'd say the same applies if you're a man talking about women's mm-hmm. issues <laughs> to mm-hmm. a woman, trying yep. to mansplain to her how she's supposed to look at things. I mean, there are lived experiences and you and I both have our blind spots and we often, mm-hmm. I mean, there's stuff I can't relate to as a white person and there's stuff you can't relate to as a man. And we, we try and, and help each other and try and listen to each other and fill each other in. But I, I just want to just go back to Russell Moore for two seconds and his whole thought that like, um, you know, these, he mentioned that these are lazy critiques. The being critical is just a lazy way to go. And I, I thought about how of all of our podcast episode, this was our 12, we did 12 hours of research at least, um, and work into this whole podcast episode. Um, and yeah, it doesn't take that kind of energy to put together a positive, feel good, quick take. You know, it's like a lot of white people did about Asbury who were excited about it. Um, and and I wanted to give a, uh, you know, for those of you who are tuning in and want to get to know us, I mean, a sneak peek behind how we do our episodes and how they usually go. I mean, usually takes us a few hours. We do a guest interview. We'll maybe have a rough outline and um, like won't have a script written out. Um, and then we just go for it. And we kind of, um, it, yeah, the editing afterwards, we do that. We usually publish something every other week. And we probably put around three, four hours into each episode. And this one was an exception. And and to, to, to like just let you guys all into my head and what was going on. I mean, and I, why I was feeling so passionate and riled up. Um, yeah, there was like progressive people like Nadia Boltz Weber and Shane Claiborne and other white male podcasters who are very popular in deconstruction spaces, all giving their uncritical thumbs up to it. And it just got me going. I started thinking of the people who were missing, whose voices were missing in all of this. Um, I was thinking of the queer students who were really harmed through an unaffirming space and reading some of their stories online. I started researching so much of this and um, reaching out to some of them and reading what they had to say. Um, And then Nate and I, like Nate saw me, he saw when I get stressed over things, I just start going into crazy research mode. And I was doing that. He was listening to me rent behind the scenes nonstop over and over and just reading doom scrolling. And um, eventually I'm like, yeah, we should, we should do it. Maybe we should do an episode on this. And we recorded for two hours. The two of us, we didn't have a guest. Um, And then we got to the audio tracks we recorded and um, they weren't good. They weren't good, and Nate, Nate did his best behind the scenes to try and clean it up, and it didn't work. Um, and I was going to give up. I was just like, "Nah, I can't repeat all of that all over. I don't, I don't think I like. It's fine. It's fine. We're good. Mm-hmm. We we won't cover Asbury." And you're like, "No." Well, what's nice is after the fact, um, we didn't have to repeat uh, all of that because 
you got um, you got some messages from people. Yes. And that's what prompted me to like go back to it because, you know, I didn't feel like repeating myself and I, I felt like I got it out of my system and I didn't have it recorded. But then people <laughs> were, had sent me their stories, had had, you know, people from the queer community, former staff, students, people were starting to like send me mm-hmm. their stuff. And I was like, I don't want to do nothing with this. Like, that's why we podcast yeah. is to yeah. highlight those stories. Um, and then you sat, you, you had the opportunity to sit down with Louisa, who we're so grateful for, yeah, uh, for sharing her story with us. Um, yeah. And, and even those who, who asked to remain uh, anonymous, unnamed, who sent yeah. us voice notes and who mm-hmm. filled us in. With, and, and we, you know, we had a lot more voices and we didn't just have one interview. We had a lot of different moving pieces in that episode. And, and Nate pulled an all nighter to soundscape that episode. And really, we poured our hearts into, into, and normally, we don't put 12 hours into an episode. So um, if you listen to that one and you notice our other ones are different, we love all of our episodes because we appreciate our guests and their stories. Um, no matter how many hours of editing go in, we we value we value people's stories. And so that's why we do what we do. Um, but that was that's a little bit of a pull behind the curtain on what God is going with Asbury. And I mean, I think, you know, you might you might. We might have a few episodes that we might try and, and put that kind of workload into, but yeah, every once um, in a while. Yeah. <laughs> but, we, but we're doing this yeah. as a hobby and we, we don't want to burn ourselves out. So we try mm-hmm. and, and stick with a lighter light. Yeah, workflow. We do. We do have full time jobs outside of this. We this do. is, this is yeah. not this is not our full time job. I mean, but we are. F- look, we, we're also grateful to everybody who contributes on on Patreon. Like we uh, honestly, like this is a hobby, but it costs money to do this hobby. And right. the the gifts that we get from from you all um, help us to to do this hobby for less than than we would be paying otherwise. So yeah, we so pay to you. put this out there, and you guys help to make make us break even and and do our hobby for free. So mm-hmm. we want to say thank you, well, we and quite broken we appreciate even yet, but that. We're close. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and actually, when I think to the gaslighting that Nadia Weber did that got me fired up um, mm. to do that episode, uh, it reminds me of why we chose what we did for the first episode of this podcast. Um, I remember people were really happy with Christianity Today's take on the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and we were just not thrilled about that series. Like you and I, behind the scenes, we thought that there was a lot that was missing, mm-hmm. um, and there was people's the main people who have been harmed. I mean, as again, being told through the lens of a white man who was not the main person being damaged and harmed at Mars Hill at the same level as the women in that culture. Yeah, there's a question I always have. Um, and and the listening to that podcast sort of prompted it in me. Um, was who whose voices are not being heard, whose stories are not being told in this? There are bound to be more victims and survivors that we're not hearing. And mm-hmm. and that podcast, I think, was notorious for centering the voices of people who either had no real, like, stake in what took place or the people who were relatively unscathed by the whole thing or were just fascinated by the downfall of Mars Hill Church. And I hear... And, mm. Yeah, no, go ahead. I, I heard it did get better. I think I trailed off at like after episode nine. I know Zach Zach yeah. went on and we've had him on our show. He he apparently had some good stuff to say. I believe it. <laughs> I just yeah. don't have the heart to go back and, and yeah. join in after nine episodes of centering the wrong people. Yeah. Um, but I've got other podcasts I want to listen to anyway. So Yeah. And and when and I think the frustrating part is when you leave evangelicalism, people are often very happy to be fed breadcrumbs. And what I mean by that is like the people who've been harmed by these systems. If you mention anything about that, people are just excited because there's always so much cover up, so much downplaying harm in these circles. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it took so long for Mars Hill to implode. There was just so much denying yeah. and stuff was trickling out over time and it was just covered and covered. So then to have it all kind of dug up and brought out into the open felt so exciting for people. Like, I think that's why there was so much excitement around it. But you and I were just kind of like, uh, can we can we have stories told by like, can we stop centering white men? Can we stop centering yeah. their narrative and and start telling the bigger picture? And so, yeah. I mean, for us, as we go through what we do on our podcast and as we retell some of these stories that are current events in evangelicalism, the stuff we want to get into today, some of the stories yeah. that are current, uh, we want to get into some of those bigger stories. So one of our hopes with our podcast is that you go from being just shocked at the terrible things in, that evangel evangelicals tend to do and say on the regular. And instead you ask, we want to help ask that question, which is one we have asked ourselves and we continue to ask ourselves. What are our own tendencies and behaviors that can reinforce this culture and the mm -hmm. awful beliefs that can sound that sound cartoonish and absurd? Like how which part do we play in that and how do we normalize that stuff? So um, we're going to start by going through maybe some of the obvious critiques of things, uh, the things that everyone kind of touches on and agrees. And then we're going to get into some specific um, ways that, yeah, maybe things that we miss when we hear these things that we need to apply. So where do we start when we're going mm. through current events? Which one should we go to first? Um, uh, let's start with uh, Jesus Orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> the Gospel Coalition, yes. So um, there is a new apologetics uh, center. That yeah, the, Keller the center. Keller, right? The Keller Center for Cultural Some... Apologetics, I think uh -huh. is what it's called. Yeah. A ministry of the Gospel Coalition. And since the fall of Rabbi Zacharias, evangelicals are needing help responding to all the nonsensical and awful teaching um, that people point out that yeah, they believe like in. And they point out, to, yeah, yeah people now point they, out the, 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 the flaws in evangelicalism. Right. You got to have apolo apologetics has to come save the day. They have <laughs> a cottage industry just devoted to trying to explain their weird beliefs away. So they decide Ugh. they're going to promote this article by Josh Butler. And does his name sound familiar to you, Nate? Josh Butler. Josh Butler. Um, he like before this article. Well, he pastors a church in Arizona, and uh, one of the churches that I used to work for, um, the that church, Redemption Arizona, was sort of like a template church for us. Um, kind of in in they were. I don't think they're an Acts twenty nine network church, but they're very close to that world. Um, they're very connected with that whole like gospel coalition, you know, uh, ref new neo reformed, the young restless reformed guys. That's that's oh. their sort of uh, sort of area, well, which of course makes if sense. You, if your old church would use using them as a blueprint, that makes sense with the st stories you shared <laughs> even on our podcast about your old God, church. Yeah. Um, but Josh Butler, getting back to him, uh, aside from being a pastor of that church, did you know he's the guy who wrote that deconstruction article? Um, that gave the reasons for why people de deconstruct and they were, they included a desire to sin and my favorite street cred. Right. <laughs> Did that ring any bells? You That's remember this guy right. going around saying why so people for some reason deconstruct? I, yeah, for some reason I associated that with Matt Chandler, but that um, was, that was Matt Joshua Chandler Butler. was, the, yeah, Matt Chandler said deconstruction is the sexy Sexiness. thing. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are all, oh, we're going to actually go on that note. Because oh speaking of sexiness, actually, it's a beautiful tie in, Nate. Oh well, this God. guy, Joshua Butler, they get to write what the senior editor of the Gospel Coalition calls a magnum 
opus of sexual ethics. That's literally what he's calling this guy's piece of writing. A magnum opus of sexual ethics. Yeah, um, ethics. It has to do with consent, right? Oh, of course. Right? Evangelicals. I mean, don't <laughs> isn't that the main thing they teach when it comes to... Haven't we all grown up in evangelicalism hearing consent mentioned at least once? Do, do, don't most of us even know what that term means when we exit out of there? <laughs> it's so terrible. Yes, that was all sarcasm in case you didn't pick up on it. Um, mm. And it was a really gross article comparing uh, sex to salvation. And I'll let you read some quotes. But before you do, I'll just I'll just add in that, like, this is their launch of the Tim Keller Center. Like, this is yeah, the guy. This is how it He's, started. He, I mean, maybe <laughs> it's not the first thing they put out, but it's one of the first things they put yeah. out. And they're they're giving him a book deal. They gave him a book deal. They put tons of money into their six figures into splash. getting this out. God. So his article is, a, oh, is an, excerpt, is an yeah. excerpt from his book. Yeah, so the article was an excerpt, right, from, from, was it a whole chapter or maybe just a part of a chapter it from starts, this book? It starts with, like, a bit from one chapter. Okay, it's so, like, a chapter. portion from one chapter. Oh, here yeah, are a couple, yeah. here, here are a couple, uh, a couple juicy morsels. Juicy um, morsels. <laughs> Nate, you're already starting us off. <laughs> Sexiness, Matt Chandler. Yeah, here yes, we go. you're in the right frame of yeah, mind. Here, here we go. go. Uh, the groom, yeah, quote, <laughs> let me put that out there, quote, the groom goes into his bride. He is not only with his beloved, but within his beloved. I'm going to give you the radio voice. He enters the sanctuary of his spouse, where he pours out his deepest presence and bestows an offering, a gift, a sign of his pilgrimage. Likewise, oh God, Christ penetrates Oh my gosh, this guy sounds like a 16-year-old who just discovered how he could ejaculate and thinks he's so special. Like, this is his deepest presence he's pouring out? Like, what the hell? What deeper form of self-giving is there than sexual union where the husband pours out his very presence, not only upon, but within his wife. Oh my gosh. This is is your your very present. Like, you really think a lot of your own ejaculation, dude. Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Gross. Yeah, I mean, and and so, I mean... (laughs) Let's let's zoom out bigger picture, right? I mean, small mm-hmm. picture. We're all giggling at how stupid this is and how yeah. ridiculous. But then, then we then we look at that they got pushback to this article, um, and how did the Gospel Coalition respond? They double down. Of course they do. They say people are taking it out of context, um, but they stand behind it. And and then they go to defend it. So they take down the quote um, from the, the article because it's g- getting pushed back. They take down the article and they say, instead, here's a link to the chapter. Because if you see it in context, then you're going to appreciate that this really is meaningful. And people, oh, the context made it worse. The the con- the, the people read the chapter are like, nope, this is worse. This is not better. You guys are going in the wrong direction. And they get more pushback and, you know, th- these guys, they're just, they're something else. So after yeah. more pushback, they finally apologize and Joshua resigns. But of course, all the men who endorsed this, all the men who had the decision in funding this book, I mean, this is not one guy greenlit this. This went through publishers, editors, uh, TGC people, like the whole, the the Tim Keller Center this was lots of people and even the people who wrote that they agreed with his article and it just needed the context. So many people are defending this, right? The guy saying, the senior editor saying is the magnum opus of sexual ethics. Like there's so many, it's not just this guy needs to resign. Right. But Hey, these guys are all still there, but they let us know 
that they're going to be here, rest assured, Nate, they're going to be more careful with screening in the future. Phew, isn't your mind at ease? At no, ease with these not guys? even kind of. Not even kind of. Because they have a history. They, they have a do. history of this kind of stuff. They are repeat offenders. I mean, Rachel Held Evans, um, mm-hmm. bless her soul, R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciated her. But she she actually pushed back when in 2012 they published an article where they quoted Jared Wilson, uh, quoting Doug Wilson. Uh, and he said, this, here's a quote. This is a past quote that they put out there. The sexual act cannot be made into an egalitarian pleasure party. A man penetrates, conquers, colonizes, plants. A woman receives, surrenders, accepts. This is, of course, offensive to all egalitarians. And so our culture has rebelled against the concept of authority and submission in marriage. Yeah, this BS was put out in the past by the Gospel Coalition. It is the same crap, different day. And what did they do in the past when they got pushed back? They doubled down. They got more pushback eventually. Oh, we're sorry. But like, that's this is their MO. Like, this mm-hmm. is what they do. Yeah. And... Yeah, and and it's it's common in inside evangelical culture. It's common in patriarchal evangelical culture. I mean, we can go we can go to quotes like I mean, John MacArthur has said some really ridiculous, and he's much more on considered to be you know the more conservative side or yeah, extreme. He's, he's like supposedly more fringe, but I like how fringe can you be when you have one of the best selling study Bibles in the country, like half a million copies. You said you had one, right? You I had, had one when I was growing. Yeah, back John in the nineties. Yeah. yeah. This was like he's he's respected. He's a massive following in a big church and a big platform, Mm -hmm. even though he's quote unquote fringe. Yeah. But so what did John MacArthur say? So this was just like to tie into like this mentality that we got with these dudes. Right. These these patriarchal guys. A husband is like a savior to his wife. The burden really lies with men to see themselves as those who rescue women. That's a John MacArthur quote. So to rescue women. Yeah. What, so Johnny what do Mac- women, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what do women, do women need women, rescuing from? <laughs> what do they need rescuing from, Johnny Mac? What, are, what is so in the context he named a bunch of things that men need to rescue women for. Get, are you ready for this? Including being unfulfilled. Men are there to <laughs> rescue women from being unfulfilled. Ew. I'm Seriously? sorry. <laughs> yeah. And oh, it gets better. And the opportunity to not have children. A big Ugh. eye roll, right? Like if if that that's where men men are, are going to be useful to you, there, women. <laughs> um, but <laughs> this is this is this sounds like a guy who who is uh, severely insecure and and uh, has no has no like useful skills. So he has to say, "Oh well, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to have kids without men?" So important to like release his. <laughs> presence and bestow it on her inner sanctuary sorry i'm going back to the dgc article these guys are you're right they're insecure and i think the further out of these movements you get and the more you distance yourself from them the more when they talk you're like how did this Mm -hmm. ever get perceived as some deep thought deep sorry i'm sorry i'm being immature some deep deep thinking all right um (laughs) hey you don't need depth to have a good orgasm (laughs) okay but yeah, so I want to get back to the, the <laughs> men saving women idea, right? So how have men imagined themselves to be God? Like actually a savior to his wife is how John MacArthur said it. And how do we get here and think that that sounds normal? So as we remove ourselves from this, it sounds really whack. But like back then, um, and, and I can't help but laugh because of how absurd those words are. And it's it's hard not to roll our eyes or even giggle at the comments from Joshua Butler and that ridiculous redacted, retracted, sorry, article from TGC painting a very crass and a gross picture of God, of what men are supposed to do to women to represent God to them. And it's easy to look at these men who are followed and listened to and assume that they're the ones planning these ideas in the minds of men, um, that mm. they imagine they're gods. 
uh, onto their wives and into their into their wives. Yes, that into is for Josh. <laughs> but I mean, I see a bigger picture of the small choices that we make that give these men these weird ideas um, of themselves, of who they are. And it's easy to point to guys like John MacArthur for toxic masculinity, but to ignore how we might be promoting it. And sure, we can stop giving attention to these guys with big platforms and influences and large book deals. We can stop buying their stuff. But maybe if we expect men to stop equating themselves with God, we need to stop calling God, hear me out, maybe we need to stop calling God a him. And especially to English-only speakers, because I think in other languages this is obvious and more nuanced, but to people who mm -hmm. only speak English, it's common. Um, people who choose translations that are slanted to normalize a masculine-only God. Uh, yes, when all. <coughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and when all our language for the divine is only male how exactly are we not supporting the patriarchy like i saw women who were kind of trying to debunk and speak out against this and and talk about you know the harmful effects of this and they kept referring to god as he and i was just thinking yeah i i the pronouns that you use for god if you can't see how they shape the way you see both men and and god just just try out using she or they when you refer to the divine for a while. Mm -hmm. um, it might feel weird at first, which already says something because God, God is neither male nor female. Everybody will admit that. And mm -hmm. somehow the, the he language just never feels off. You know? Right, right. So people might have an easier time with they, um, you know, people who aren't, you know, complete assholes. But, but going to that step of referring to God as she seems for a lot of people to be a bridge too far. Mm. it's interesting like when i think back to where we were when we met and like mm -hmm. we had these co these conversations between ourselves early on yeah. you were you were comfortable with it when i met mm -hmm. you yeah and i i think part of it was um a couple of things uh i had been growing increasingly frustrated with how women were being treated and like being at hillsong i i saw women up on on platform regularly um, they were preaching, they were leading, but there was something about the way that it was being done that just didn't sit well with me, especially coming from a, a very complementarian church. Um, so Hillsong felt different. It felt different for me in a lot of ways, but um, in that way it felt different, but there was something that didn't quite sit right for me. And as I was starting to branch out and looking into other areas for how to express theology, um, I came across pieces and articles and books that that referred to God in more feminine language. And I think that 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 angst within me finally was calmed um, when I started attending a church where the pastor used feminine language for God and referred to God as she, her, mother. And, it, and then that's when it clicked. So for me, it was sort of the reverse, right? Rather than using the feminine pronouns for God um, and then dealing with the, uh, the discomfort of that and that changing my mind, I think my mind intellectually had already been changed and I was looking for the language that would fit what I was feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I, and for the, you, it was kind of the reverse, right? Yeah. It was different for me. I mean, I didn't think it was a big deal, like until I got used to hearing 
God referenced as a female enough that it no longer sounded weird. Like I was mm -hmm. like, oh, why, I don't see why we're making you. You are commenting to me. Like initially, I didn't, I didn't really understand what what was the big deal with all of this. But then once, yeah, I you kind of saw it as as I, I don't know if you really saw it as like virtue signaling, but I think you kind of <laughs> had that sense of like, is it like are they just trying to score points with the? Oh, I'm like, oh, does <laughs> like I I don't think I understood, and I I hear this conversation a lot about um, policing words. And people acting like, you know, oh, the woke people, they're all about policing the language you use and you can't say this anymore or that. And they act like language doesn't impact. And I think when you're coming out of these spaces, that sounds appealing. Like, I'm just going to get criticized for using the wrong words. Um, words. What's the big deal? Like, let's do something more substantial. And and then you start to understand how language impacts. Mm -hmm. And I think hearing God referred to in the feminine really uh, it changed me to be sitting in an environment where that was very normalized, where I'd never heard it before. Um, and now when I'm circle, I'm in circles where God is only refer ever referenced uh, to as a dude. I notice right away how prevalent patriarchal yeah. notions are in those groups and individuals, like how much that stuff is present, that that male superiority mentality, it seeps in. You can't, those two things go together. Like if God mm -hmm. is only viewed in a male context. So, I mean, I think fighting against the most blatant versions of patriarchy while still imagining and painting God as male, to me, it's just, it seems like now where I am, it seems like a pointless endeavor. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because if you're not going to deconstruct, um, the, the God's gender, which, like, if you just it leave it as is, yeah. right, because people say, oh, God has no gender. So, you and know, God he, is neither male. Yeah. He, 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 he all the time. Then you are, you are gendering God. Yeah. And if you never deconstruct that, then what is the point? Yeah. So you can criticize all of this else. all you want on the big notions. Oh, those gospel coalition guys are really terrible. And then not realize how you're supporting that sort of mentality mm -hmm. of men seeing themselves as literal saviors, like John MacArthur put it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think harm often comes to the marginalized, not in the blatant stuff, um, mm -hmm. but it's in the insidious that often gets labeled as microaggressions, which is in of itself a pretty misleading term because the impact of micro is often the main way people end up getting harmed and affected. Like, you know, people might not shout at you like the N word or, you know, like they might not do the blatant things, but the subtle ways. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, so if if um, if, for example, somebody were to flat out call me a chink or a jap, that mm -hmm. would <laughs> that would sit with me and that would be very, you know, that would be that would be painful. But there there's something a little bit more uh more of like stabbing when when someone says things like oh but you you know your people brought this virus over here right like there's a there's a or we don't even uh, see you as asian nate you're like one right, of us <laughs> right right <laughs> which is supposed right. to be a compliment but yeah, it says then, a lot of other indirect things about how and, they yeah and and to to your point about um them you know the impact not being micro so it, it almost feels like a misnomer um, because that ends up sitting with me a whole lot longer than the racial slurs do. Right. Um, because it goes I have unchecked. to, yeah. And then I have to think through it. I have to analyze it. I have to wonder about somebody's motives. Why it, it just, it, it, it's a lot. It's a whole lot. So, yeah. yeah it's, so anyway, it's, it's worse because the, the non blatant things, um, they often sneak by without question and they shape people's thoughts and perceptions without mm -hmm. getting challenged yeah. on it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I think ask yourself how those you listen to, um, to refer to and talk, how do they refer to and talk about God um, before, you know, before just being shocked at the TGC writers or John MacArthur, ask, 
where have I normalized a masculine or male only God? Like that's Mm -hmm. something that I needed to do and to work myself through. Um, Question interrogate yourself. And what does, what does that do to men's thinking about themselves and how they, and how does it affect women and how they subconsciously give men undue power and how it helps them defer to men when Mm -hmm. God is only referred to as male? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, um, before we go on, I did want to mention uh, something about the the language that's used um, in in this these weirdly sexual <laughs> um, articles that 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 they write. Like, um, so going back to to um, Doug Wilson's talk about you know man penetrating, conquering, um, mm. you know he he said the word colonizes. Like this, it's, it's colonial mindset, or actually this is, this is as, as we'll learn and and we'll, we'll talk about in in a later episode, uh, in an upcoming episode, coloniality, this mindset that leads to colonization, this idea that we as a particular group, whether it be men, white people, et cetera, it's colonial. It's this, this, this entitlement, um, you know, we have the, the gift the right, to bestow right, upon you. This gift to bestow upon, right? This this right to, <laughs> to penetrate. Like this mm. vile it's this language is so violent and and colonial. And we this wonder is the how language of never right. pops into these ethics. Of course not. Of course not. Because you don't have uh any agency as the recipient. And I'm using that that word. It's very soft, but as like you know the the indigenous people here in 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 the americas they had no uh no consent they had no way to say no you know they just had to take it this is this is the language of violence this is the language of rape this is the language mm-hmm. of colonization um yeah so th- and this is what this is what these people think of when they think of sex yeah. So it's no wonder that this kind of violence runs rampant through these circles. We live in an era of unprecedented access to information, news, and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Kathleen Reynolds as we take you into the world of cult recovery after all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences boggle your mind as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode. It's a scary thing in environments where women don't have a say and these men with these colonial mindsets are, Mm. we're supposed to be the submissive ones. And, you know, speaking of women and submissive ones in the news, in our, in stuff that we wanted to bring up, I mean, the SBC, um, Southern Baptist Convention, largest, Uh, yes, Evangelical denomination, largest Protestant denomination. I think it's the largest, yeah, the largest USA. Protestant. Of- yeah, but I mean, they're evangelical and mm-hmm. they, um, I mean, they have a very interesting history and I think it's extremely important to note it because yeah. it plays a role. Uh, when you look at their whole trajectory, there's just different things that all fit together. Like they were created um, as a protest to, um, 
to to ending slavery. They wanted to continue to own slaves and they've acknowledged it, but only recently. (laughs) This has been a part of their their history has been trying to endorse slavery and to continue to own humans. So they 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 broke off from from the Baptists and became Southern Baptists in order to keep doing that. And um, and then this is the same church that, you know, has that almost 300 page document that came out recently that expressed how the leadership just um, covered up for for sexual assaults from leaders and knew about them and moved them around in their churches. And just, yeah, the, the amount of cover ups that went down through that. I mean, so their next step going back to women <laughs> and going back to women in these environments like this, these colonial environments. Um they they just kicked out a bunch of churches. Uh, the SBC did. I mean, they had kicked out Beth Moore for for being uh, too egalitarian, for being a woman who speaks and and does what she does. And uh, so the, you know, people who sometimes wonder like, what's the trajectory of these? You know, people are calling out. You know, these abuses are being exposed. That three hundred page document proving like maybe they're gonna say like we've been abusive. Let's let's improve, right? No. <laughs> No, that's not the trajectory. Instead, they double down. So after Beth Moore, now recently, they just kicked out a few churches for becoming egalitarian. One, which is Rick Warren's Saddleback Church. So that is making the headlines that they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're doing what they do. And they're continuing yep. on their on their usual nonsense. Yep. We're, look, at, at the end of the day, none of us are shocked or surprised by any of this. Uh, I mean, it's big news because, you know, it is the SBC um, and Such it a is, huge denomination. Yeah, and, and and it's 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 you know of course it's disappointing that in the midst of all of the 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 shit that they're dealing with, um, and and the scandals that they've been covering up for years, um, in the midst of all of that, this they their... decide. Yeah, this is their move. This is this is what they need to focus on. So of course you know we're of course people are frustrated, disappointed, angry, etc. Um, but not, we're not surprised. None of us Welcome are surprised by this. Welcome to evangelicalism, yeah. guys. Yeah, and 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 let's, let's also lest lest we we start to you know create protagonists where there aren't any. Um, let's not look at at Rick Warren and Saddleback Church as this you know bastion of egalitarianism and 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 progressivism. Oh, I want to get into this. I want to get into egalitarianism in inside evangelicalism. It's yeah. definitely going to come up, but I want to I want to save that for like yeah. Yeah, a bit we'll of how our that. podcast came to be. But let's continue yeah. with our current news. Yeah, Nate. Yeah. So the next so, one. Next so, one applies. I mean, before to... before we go before we go on, I just I do want want to point out the fact that like you know uh, Warren and and Saddleback Church what they're doing. Is, I mean, look, maybe we're cynical, fine, but I, I don't have, I, I, I don't have the, the energy to, to really waste on, on looking at any of these churches as, you know, you know, healthy in any way. The move that Saddleback made here was entirely marketing related. Either they were losing people because of the, the glass ceiling at that church. Or they saw removing the glass ceiling as a, a marketing point, a selling point for the church so that they could attract more people because in the larger evangelical world, particularly in some charismatic uh, Pentecostal spaces like Hillsong, there are women pastors. So, you know, even even uh, one of the churches I used to work for, um, they uh, several years ago they brought a woman onto their executive team and gave her the title of of pastor. So, you know, it's happening in the evangelical world. Rick Warren's church is just they're trying to keep up with the times um and they're trying to make sure that they are a marketable church. So, that's 
that I I don't think that that they are to be lauded in any way, shape, or form. This is look, and it's also this is this is pittance. This is bare fucking minimum. Right. Like like wow, you know, this is so great. Women are treated as equal in two thousand twenty three inside the evangelical oh world. This is fascinating and amazing. But like anywhere else, this is like guys, we're applauding this. Why? Yeah. Why is this in even like why are these people considered revolutionary for any of this? This is yeah. yeah. This is basic human decency mm-hmm. that we're trying to afford. And even at that, having like in your old your old church having one woman as a leader. Oh, look, we got finally one woman pastor in a group of men. Yay. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. better than what we had before. Yeah. Breadcrumbs. Um Yep. Well, you finished anyway, thought, Yeah, no, I'm 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 done with that thought. <laughs> We've we've got we've got more to tackle. We've got more. We've got so much more, guys. There's more. Wait, there's more. Um, your church, Nate. Gonna go back to your church. Uh, Hillsong is in the news, and um, when are they not in the news? Yeah, when that is a really good point. When is Hillsong (laughs) not making headlines for being terrible? Anyone know? Anyone remember when Hillsong? I I think we had to go back to probably when you attended. They might have been in their heyday without the scat before Carlin's got kicked out. Even. But even then, there were there were there was stuff. There was stuff. It's just, you know, the big headlines were about how this cool hip church in downtown, you know, they like baptized Manhattan. Justin Bieber. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, GQ GQ was doing a profile on on, on our church. So Back ridiculous. In, I guess whoa. So it was like 2015, 2016, right? When the the bad news was not dominating the headlines mm-hmm. which has changed and uh but hillsong's still alive and kicking and people are still attending and and pumped about going to a place where uh, even as the bad news keeps rolling in they, they're <laughs> so i'll just go to it um there's an mp named andrew wilkie and he gave evidence for for our uh american um audience an oh, mp I'm stands Canadian. for so i'm like yeah. y'all know what an mp yeah. is right no. Yeah, no, no. Uh, <laughs> in the U.S., we don't have the parliamentary system of right, democracy. Right, right. Just um, under the monarchy. <laughs> you're, no, no. It's just you guys, you guys have a parliamentary system. Yeah. Japan has a parliamentary Form, system. Right. Yeah. Formed through, 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 right. um, yeah, right. the monarchy. So, so anyway, MP stands for member of parliament. So, so think of, think of this guy as a, uh, a congressperson or, uh, a senator. Mm-hmm. They're, a, they're a member of parliament. So he, so MP, um, MP, his yeah. name is Andrew Wilkie, and he invoked mm-hmm. parliamentary privilege, which prevents Hillsong from taking legal action uh, against him. And yeah. he basically... For what? What did he invoke parliamentary privilege for? For giving evidence of financial fraud, money laundering, and tax evasion that um, they basically... <gasps> I'm <laughs> he's touching his heart right now in shock. He's like, "What? It's sar- no way! Sarcastic. Financial fraud, oh money laundering, God. and tax evasions? No, you don't say. It can't the, be the church where Carl Lentz was a lead pastor. Money laundering at that church? What was the jackets that he wore at church all okay. the time? Yeah. So, I mean, look, I'm not surprised. Obviously, not surprised by any of this because Carl Lentz was notorious for. Look, and I'll I'll be I'll be the first to admit I bought into it. Um, you know, Carl Lentz liked to wear shot perfecto jackets, and I do love my shot jacket. I'll be, I'll be honest. So I'm, I'm going to talk, I should be talking about this in therapy, but I'm going to talk about it on the podcast now. Um, so I, uh, I was unemployed or barely employed. I, I was, ju- all I was doing was teaching ice skating for, you know, whatever. Um, he's and a good, he's a good ice skater. Yeah. And I had, um, I, I went into a lot of debt without a full-time job 
on a shot perfecto jacket. Oh man. Yeah. It was an eight hundred fifty dollar jacket. It was an eight hundred fifty dollar jacket. So now I'll look at you differently when you wear it. Yeah. You 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 want you want to know why I keep wearing that jacket in climates that I shouldn't be wearing the jacket? Because you spent eight hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> trying to imitate Carl Lentz. There was a whole bunch of you trying to imitate there Carl Lentz. There were a lot Lentz. of us. There were a lot of okay, I I I I didn't it wasn't Carl Lentz. It was it was others. I just thought okay. it was a really cool jacket. I do love that jacket. It's All a right. good jacket. But anyway, continuing on. Getting... That church? That church? Yeah. In trouble for financial fraud? Apparently really? it earned 80, not 100, not 1,000, 80 million more than it publicly declared. So It's so not 80, 80 million, million in general, just 80 million more than what yeah, it declared. 80 million dollars of unreported revenue. Yes. And I'm so you think, glad. You think the, somebody might get in trouble for that. I'm glad the Australian what? government is finally looking into them. And um, yeah, Andrew Wilkie, his quotes are great. He claims the church money spent was on the kind of shopping that would embarrass a Kardashian. That was one of the quotes he gave. Um, he also claimed Brian Houston used private jets like Ubers, alleging the church founder undertook trips costing 55000 52000 30000 22000 and 20000 in one three-month period. Talk about using them like Ubers. And the quotes are just great. I mean, there was a claim that four Ugh. members of the Houston family spent $150,000 of church money on a luxury retreat in Cancun, Mexico. And there's much more. I mean, these are surprise, thousands surprise. of pages of documents. Oh, God. Yeah. Yep. Yep. As, uh, <sighs> you're just laughing. I, you don't even have no what to say. I get, I got, I've got nothing to say. Look, at this, uh, Look, and maybe, and maybe at some point, and I know, uh, you know, Phil Dooley, who's the current, um, the current senior pastor, and Hillsong Global. Um, I know he came out with some some statement during their sermon on Sunday. I haven't I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do. Something oh, we'll have some fun with that. Uh, we're gonna do something. So we'll make um, a plug. I'm gonna make yeah. a plug. We're gonna do okay, a reaction. Yeah? yeah, let's do a plug for this. Okay, we're gonna do well, our I've, first ever full mutuality video. <laughs> That will throw yes. up on YouTube. This is what you guys are getting a, a new a new thing from us. Um, you get to see all of our faces if you're curious about the who's behind this. Oh, um, you've probably seen our faces. We have a website with our pictures on them. I don't know if he's going to go and check out our faces. Anyway, yeah. you guys, if you guys want to watch it, we're going to do a reaction video with um, with Noemi and Janice. Um, no, and they're gonna they're gonna come on with us. You've you've heard them if you've listened to our yeah. previous Noemi pod. who escaped Hillsong Boston, Janice who escaped Hillsong NYC with me. So where they're they're coming on and and you you know them well uh, especially Janice if if you've followed us for any amount of time um yeah they're going to come on with us we're going to have uh we're going to have some fun i might make should some popcorn should be dropping <laughs> soon check check it out yeah. we'll be yeah. throwing links up on our stuff to to yeah. get you there if you're um if you're a member of the Dauntless Media Collective Discord um we will be putting the link in there uh so that you can come check out the the live video they will uh, be watching it for the first time i saw a good chunk at least almost a half hour of phil dooley's service on sunday trying to explain this stuff you, none of you guys have have heard this yet and you probably need each other as support before even getting into this but um <laughs> i think janice has watched it already because uh she she messaged like uh something about channeling her rage i'll be happy to have you guys all use it to channel your rage because and, and i think it's important to dissect yeah. kind of the way evangelical culture responds to and this situation 
was very different for Hillsong because usually they use um, threats of defamation suits. Uh, they use yeah. NDAs. They get their lawyers. Um, I mean, the leaked documents, they're trying to tie it to, well, we can't discuss the items because, you know, we're already dealing with a court situation about this. So we can't, it's privileged or blah. And it's not true. Like the husband no, no, of the person who was fired by Hillsong, who was, I mean, she's going to court with him um, for, for the way she yeah. was terminated for it's being another, a whistleblower. Yeah, it's another... Uh, a completely different scenario, even though they, they're they're related because mm-hmm. the documents that she was uh, the, that she, she had, was blowing the whistle on yep. were the financial fraud right. stuff. And that was the reason that they that they that they terminated her. But the 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 reason they're in court is not for the financial fraud. The reason no. they're in court is for How wrongful they termination. Yeah. Right. Wrongful termination. So they're using this as they're, they're deflecting with this to say, mm-hmm. oh, we can't discuss the financial stuff because it's in a court case. No, that's not what the court case is about. That's yeah. what her husband was pointing out. Um, yeah. So basically, Hillsong this time, because Andrew Wilkie used parliamentary privilege, they can't go after him legally like right. they did Natalie Moses, who they are taking to court or that she's, you know, taking them to court. I forget which is which, but still that they're battle. They're in a legal battle with her. Um, in this case, they can't go. He's they can't do their usual stuff. And they're ticked off like they're upset. Um, <laughs> Phil Dooley's message, which I heard, you can hear the anger and the hostility towards um, oh, I'm not even going to spoil it. You guys can watch us listening to the clips and highlights of it because it was ridiculous. Oh, this will be fun. Uh, although, uh, you know, it's if you're you have to be listening to it to this on the day that we drop this episode because uh, we're doing it. Um, we're doing it on Saturday. Uh, hopefully, you can. We'll we'll put the link in the Discord. So hopefully, you are if you're listening to this, you're in our Discord server and you'll uh, you'll get the link to 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 catch it live. Mm. Um, Last thing on Hillsong, I would say, yeah. is that apparently Australia, so the MP called out um, the charities regulators for not getting on this and investigating and put pressure on the body that they have to investigate this sort of stuff in Australia. Uh, apparently, they, they have a history of overlooking a lot of stuff like this, but they didn't like the heat. So now they say they're they're going to investigate this. So it remains to be seen <laughs> if they do a good job. Yeah. Um, as, Hil- uh, as Pastor Brian liked to say, the best is yet to come. Yeah. And and of course, uh, <laughs> Hillsong claims to be a completely changed place over the last 12 months um, that they've totally... And they, it feels like they just do this every... Every, every I mean, time there's a scandal. No, forget about who we were the last, the 12 months before that. When they said past. they had... Cha- yes. Yeah. We're, just, we're a new church now. Yeah. Okay. I oh, mean, forget about the time in the 90s, you know, when, that, when all yeah. of that happened. We're a new church now. Constantly just repeat these same it's lines, moving, rinse and yeah, repeat. the goalposts. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Did we make our way through the evangel? There's more evangelical. Not- we can't cover it all, guys. No, we can't There's cover just- it all. It's <laughs> just too much. Yeah. Uh, if you if you want if you want more on on all of the fun goings on in the evangelical world, um, you know, follow our our friend Rick Pidcock. Um, he is a writer for Baptist News Global. And he loves to tackle all the crazy bullshit that goes on in the evangelical world. He's good at it. His his articles are are well researched. He's a good writer. So go uh, go check out that stuff if you want to stay abreast of all of the uh, the news in the evangelical world. And of course, you're probably following Religion News Service, which is another another source for uh, the latest and greatest in the evangelical news world. Hey everyone, I'm Jessica from the Leaving the Village podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. 
We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Kathleen, Nate, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions they came from, please feel free to hop onto the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episode of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking on the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking on the link in the top banner. See you there. I want to talk about anger for a moment because um, I've just been thinking of like, you know, we're talking about how you guys are going to do a reaction video and the anger at Hillsong and the frustration with with what they're doing. Um, mm. I read something that said, if God hates all the people that you hate, you've made him into an idol. Um, and I was frustrated with that quote uh, because, you know, when I, I pushed back on the person who said it and they were like, I've heard it many times. Yeah, um, I've, I've heard that a lot, too. You've heard, yeah. And and. You know, I used, to, I, I used to love that quote. Right. Right. And my issue with it is this, like, OK, so child molesters, racists, um, wife beaters, pastors who abuse their congregation. So God doesn't hate the people. <laughs> like, he's good. He's chill yeah, with this. God, right. God Otherwise, he's an idol. And people get hung up on the word hate. They're like, oh, you know, well, you know. You shouldn't hate anyone. Uh, God doesn't hate anyone. And then I'm like, well, actually, go look in the Bible where Jesus says, unless you hate your father and mother. Like, you want to cherry pick the Bible. We can do this. We can do this all day. You can find verses. Like, hate is even nuanced in scripture, right? And people being like, no, God God cares for everyone. Well, why does he say if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better? Jesus Jesus said it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and to be drowned in the ocean. Like, there's stuff that Jesus said and did that just doesn't fit with this everyone, you know, like, him calling people hypocrites, blind guides, whitewashed tombs, snakes, viper. Like he had a lot of vicious words that were not nice for people. Um, mm-hmm. Flip tables, got angry. And that's the part where people just don't like to paint God as like <laughs> Jesus as taking stands and having harsh words and being angry. Um, and anger often gets um, demonized and people are often afraid to take hard stands on things. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. You, you bringing up anger. Um, I was listening to, um, an episode of, at the time that we're recording this, the latest episode of Noemi's podcast, um, called false prophets, uh, which they're doing with, um, iHeartRadio. So, you know, big deal. Obviously anything that's talking about Hillsong is, is going to be a big deal in the, in the larger world. Um, especially in the pop culture world, but uh, Noemi uh, goes into in in the latest episode. Noemi goes into their um, their story at Hillsong, and and they've talked about it on our podcast as well. Um, but but uh, on on the latest episode, they go into it in greater detail. Um, and they brought in the the pastor who um, I think Noemi's roommate had was her niece or something, and then and then she called. 
and and said, you know, no one during a particularly traumatizing period when when this the 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 stuff surrounding Hillsong was just debilitating and was harming was harming Noemi to to, to the nth degree. Um, this this pastor um, reached out to her and and helped and and helped them through this difficult period. In any case, I don't want to spoil the story for you. You can go back to Noemi's episode on our podcast. I don't remember what number it is, but go to fullmutuality.com slash Hillsong, and then a list of all of our Hillsong episodes are there, and Noemi's story is in there. Um, or go check out Noemi's podcast uh, called False Prophets, and you will hear Noemi's story in full detail. Uh, Noemi brings uh, their that pastor on, and she talked about anger. She talked about rage. And she was talking about um, anger in in this sense of positivity, of what it can enable us to do, of the injustices that it can enable us to fight. And I thought it was powerful. And and she she told the story of of how when she walked into uh, Noemi's hospital room, um, she was frustrated and angry about the fact that. Fellow clergy, you know, as as a pastor, and 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 you you network with people in your in your profession, um, that that the fellow clergy were not were completely shirking their responsibility, and she was angry. Like this was our job. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go to our people in their times of need, and we're not doing that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anger anger can be powerful. It can be useful. It should um, it be there in certain circumstances. And I think maybe it goes back a bit to what we were saying about that white guy who can just remain uncaring and uh, like unaffected by hearing someone else's pain and just go through it easy breezy mm. and then think that means they're more grounded. I think right. one of the things that I've been feeling very passionate about is just how we try and downplay the anger, how we try and pretend that like we need to, um, you know, you need to, to be patient and see everything as equal and like. I think of that, the quote that the MLK quote we ended with on our last episode about white moderates and um, that that unwillingness to have to be really hard and say some difficult things um, to people when like to get angry about things. People often mm-hmm. see that as as not a good thing. And I I think often false equivalencies get brought in, um, like, for example, you know, and I've been thinking through this one, um, you know, when I pushed back on on that, you know, God hating the same people you do. I'm like, what do you mean by that? And they were like, no, well, like, you know, Jews, gay people, Republicans. And I'm like, wait, wait, like, this is hmm. what I mean by false equi- equivalencies. Your sexual orientation, not a choice. Your ethnicity, religious, you know, what you're born into, not a choice. Um you're Republican choosing to marginalize others to vote to people, pick people who vote for policies. Yeah, your political to, affiliation is entirely a choice. A hundred percent. It's like uh, the ridiculousness of the Blue Lives Matter hashtag where it's oh like, sorry, you're not born a police. Like, that's no. not that's a chosen <laughs> no. profession. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's often a lot of false equivalencies when people are. Um, having these discussions and there's sometimes really big blind spots. I find especially in deconstruction spaces where people end up listening to a lot of white men, you know, there's just, there's a lot of people that are just brushed over and ignored and the anger is seen as a, as a bad thing instead of a good thing. Like, it's like, oh, you know, let's be patient and let's not see this, you know, let's not be extreme about it. But it's so easy from those positions of privilege. And I, like, I know that I have had to move past looking to white men as the leaders you come out of evangelicalism that's the default voice yeah. right like yeah uh, well you come out of white evangelicalism yeah for right. sure yeah. um 
You're I, d- I did the same thing, right? Like when I came out, um, my go-tos were guys like Rob Bell, Peter Enns. Um, you know, I was I was still a little bit afraid to touch Bart Ehrman because he was mm. an atheist. Um, and and some of these and, and the, look, there's are, value in those guys. Yeah. And even now, even now, I look at I look at them. Uh, I look at um, I look at Rob Bell, and I think he he still provides some value. Mm-hmm. Peter Enns and and Jared Bias together they provide some value. Um, but I think at some point, like why why do I need to keep platforming them? Those are the guys that we were platforming back mm-hmm. there, and we were never listening to queer people. We were never right. listening to black people, at least in white evangelical spaces. We were never yeah. listening to women. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't listening to trans people. Yeah. And they weren't allowed among us anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They weren't even invited into into these spaces. So it's um, it's one of those things that I think it's worth like we're talking about looking at ourselves in it. And I think I've seen myself and us even as podcasters trying to be more intentional about asking those questions of like, who are our guests and how are we mm-hmm. highlighting the voices of the marginalized? Like, how are yeah. we actually, you know, and, and I encourage people um, you know, try and diversify the pot. I'm not saying never listen to a white man, but man, if you right. leave evangelicalism and that's all you have in your list, like these are your go-to people. And I see people even like on social media quoting the white guy pastor still, and they're, <laughs> they're trying to deconstruct yeah. evangelicalism, but they're defaulting to those old patterns. Just analyze, yeah. go listen to some Janice Legata. I mean, Nate and I mm-hmm. both have blind spots. I mean, <laughs> Whether it's him, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, you know, you as as a non-white person and the stuff I'm going to miss, you know, and vice versa as a woman, the stuff you as a guy are going to miss. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to be we need to stop centering the white dudes and we need to start listening to black women. And yeah. please, we please. need to listen to like, I think generally speaking, we need to listen to the people that the church has has kept silent. And um, that that is that is black people. That is black woman um that is the queer person mm-hmm. um so yeah like if we're gonna give out podcast recommendations um you know go go check out janice legata's work um you know she she operates under the um under the tag god has not given that's sort of her flagship podcast but uh that one's on break while she works on bad words which, which is, is fantastic amazing yeah. podcast i love that one um and um, another podcast I would recommend is um, How Gay Thou Art. Um, and oh, we've, they do we've such connected informative with them. stuff. Yeah, we've connected with them here and there. Uh, they're, they're great people. Um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, start there. Find queer voices. Find um, non-white BIPOC voices, you know. Yeah. Find women. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. I want to just give like a maybe maybe a caution with white women because I am one. I'm going to speak to my own for, for a moment yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. I mean, I've been hearing this this trend of white white women talking about liminal spaces. And um, when it's marginalized groups talking about it, they're often talking about in between spaces where they get further marginalized. So like one of our upcoming guests and I won't I won't spoil it, but they'll talk in a helpful way about this as a woman of color. Um but I think there's some other good examples of liminal spaces. It could be like being bisexual, you know, rather than gay or being ace or single or not being black or white, like being non-binary. It could be in your gender. 
I think it's basically a good thing when it's ground that typically isn't covered. It's an area of marginalization that often gets lost or goes unnoticed in a discussion. Like I'd say that that could be liminal spaces Um, and giving nuances in situations like that. I find it's really helpful and it expands our thinking. But often with white women, we'll use this idea to mean things like not taking any sort of position on something or making some compromising halfway point. Um, Like they'll be promoting women who want equality, but who are unaffirming. So we were talking about Beth Moore Mm. Um, and then they're all going to applaud and go listen to them. And then they'll call them this a liminal space when really it's a position of privilege. For example, when Beth Moore, pretty white blonde haired woman speaks about equality, a lot of other white women pay attention. Right. So there are plenty of black affirming women who've said what Beth has said when Mm -hmm. it when it comes to equality. But they don't have that conservative image that still leaves out other groups. So Beth is palatable for people who don't want to go too far in fighting against justice. And even though Beth hasn't been affirming or fighting against injustice. Yes. Yes, they don't want to go too far fighting injustice. Exactly. So, yeah. So even though Beth isn't affirming, she's cheered and she's quoted as a champion for equality when the equality that's being petitioned for is only for one group while we ignore other marginalized group. And that's not a liminal space. I just want to call right. it out. That's actually privilege. Right. Um, right. And so, I mean, and then it's not to say that that Beth hasn't had her fair share of struggles. Mm-hmm. Clearly she has. You know, and clearly she has lost a lot in in her fight for, um, you know, women to have the platform in those kinds of spaces. However, the fact that and and I know I know you want to get into this, but like she she stands in this place of fighting for a particular subset of society that has been um, marginalized by those in in power. But there are so many other subsets of society that also need so in our in our struggle to to bring ourselves up you know for me as a person of color in my struggle to bring my specifically as an asian american in my fight for the 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 rights and equality of asian americans i cannot forget black people i cannot forget trans people i have to bring them up along with me when mm-hmm. we are all elevated mm-hmm. that like when we are all elevated one of us is elevated i think i just want to put it that way as opposed to saying when one of us is because it's not true when one of us is elevated all of us are elevated because that's bullshit mm-hmm. um because because you know I, I hate to say it white women have been using that power for a long time to fight against people of color particularly black men mm. it and that's what these fights have been about Sorry, I'm getting off my soapbox. No, I, I I do want to get into white women, how they've even used black women to. Oh, I'm going to get back to that. I do. I want to you know what? I want to actually quote Martin Luther King on this from what you were saying about elevating. When we elevate all of us, we elevate one of us, because I think if I were like to pick, I don't know, a, a really cool quote that I think summarizes like a vision for how I see this podcast or what I hope what I hope we're doing. I this is one of my favorite MLK quotes. This is one of them that I really love. Um he talks about how, in a, this is his, his quote, in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught, I'll say all men and women, I think he means men like mankind, are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. 
that is what I what I hope that we're doing. Maya Angelou says none of us can be free until all of us are free. And I think that's a fantastic quote as well. Um, but when you claim to be about deconstruction and you only fight for straight women, I'm sorry, but you're still upholding the patriarchy. And mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not saying that at some point that wasn't me, too. But I also so here's the thing with anger and I and why I went to that. It's okay to hear anger and frustration. And sometimes we're so scared to scare people and shame them coming out of evangelicalism. But I needed people to give me the harsh reality of how my sitting on the fence on topics was harming people. Like how my, oh, let me just sit and question this. So like I needed to be challenged about it. I needed people to stop applauding me for my halfway steps and encouraging me to stop ignoring other groups that are harmed. I needed people who called that out of me. Um, so, hey, women. Do you know what keeps the patriarchy intact? Gender roles. Do you know why there's so much hatred against not only gays, but transgender people and why there's so many laws being passed right now to harm these groups? Guess what? It's patriarchy still. They're a threat to gender dynamics set up by keeping it being about men being in charge of women. So they have a system of hierarchy based on genitals. And when a gay, when gay people enjoy their gay relationships, it spits in the face of these relationship hierarchies, these gender-based hierarchies yeah who's in charge mm-hmm. yeah how how could you have a, a mutual a mutual relationship where one person isn't in a hierarchy over another based on their private parts and what which private parts you have and that's terrifying to the patriarchy so white woman when you want equality for just other straight women and you still want to stay unaffirming you can't fight for those those things and still not live out equality in every other area I mean, these things work together as a system. Um, you can't play some waiting game just because it doesn't impact your life. You need to be, you do need to be called out. Uh, we're not advancing anything that way. And none of us can be free until all of us are free. Um, I get frustrated and I and I don't like to name names and I'll probably skip over naming names at different points, although I have dropped Beth Moore and we've named the guys I have no issue with. <laughs> I'm going to name a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'm going to name one. Uh, Kristen Koba Dumas. She's the author of Jesus and John Wayne. She's done a good book. Um, that, yeah, it's a you good know, book. It's a good gonna, book. I'm not going to discount that. It has it's taken some time to unpack how a lot of evangelical harmful elements are tied together. Um, but over a year ago, when she was asked if she's affirming, she said her church is still analyzing this question, and so is she. Um, and I recognize myself when I wanted to ride that fence, too. And the problem is, that unaffirming stances harm people. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to say something. I, I do want to point out when, when she says, you know, my church is still, you know, is still analyzing this question and so am I. Um, I think it's, there, there is a difference though between sitting and kind of like, oh, you know, what do we think of gay people? That question versus the, so our, the denomination that we're a part of, the United Church of Christ, um, they have, this what they call the open and affirming churches and what that means is it's not simply hey you say okay cool we'll fly fly a pride flag or we've got a a a queer pastor and there we go we're open and affirming what that what the opening and affirm open and affirming churches do is they go through a long arduous process of of learning what it means to be open and affirming, of evaluating our church policies, of evaluating our doctrines, our stances, our beliefs, how we as a congregation have interacted with the uh, with the queer community over the years, and how how we move forward with apologizing for that, how we move forward with what welcome looks like. That's different. Uh, that's a different kind of 
analysis of the question than, um, oh, should we, uh, should we say gay people are okay? That's, that's different. That should not take time. That should be right there. Um, the other stuff can take time. The other stuff should take time because you can't just straight up fly the flag, fly a pride flag and be like, okay, cool. We're, we're open and affirming. And then you've got all sorts of policies and weird shit going on in your congregation. That's not welcoming. Yep. Anyway, sorry. I went on another soapbox. No, it's fine. It's great. It's, it's totally along the lines of what we're, what we're talking about. I, I was thinking of, um, of an article in the Washington Post. Actually, mm-hmm. it was it was sent to us in uh, in our Dauntless Discord by Meadowlark, um, posted up this Washington Post article, mm. and it said, "Hi, Meadowlark. Thanks for sharing this yeah. with us. Yeah, we had some good good, good conversations. I do. Good I do really like the people in our in our group. Yeah, you know, so, sorry in our in our Discord server. So they they threw this Washington Post article down, and I'm just going to quote some parts of it. Um, it's about being. <laughs> anti-LGBTQ stances. So it says, are we just so accustomed to the anti-LGBTQ stances of conservative religious institutions that they don't even register? Are we so used to church-sponsored homophobia that we ignore the vast forbidding landscape of prejudice while celebrating the tiniest signs of change? In January, the Church of England apologized for its treatment of LGBTQ people while clarifying that such people would not be allowed to marry in the church. (laughs) For the times we have rejected or excluded you and those you love, we are deeply sorry, the pastor's letter reads. And for the times we will continue to reject or exclude you, we are so deeply sorry for those too. It's, um, I just, they continue on. Now, it's it's a good article. Now, let's pretend that instead of talking about LGBTQ people, the church was talking about congregations, quote unquote, wrestling with their beliefs and feelings about black people. Would our spirits of patient forbearance extend to that? And not too long ago, in case you were wondering, many American Christian institutions defended slavery. We talked about this with the SBC. Mm -hmm. I'm just quoting the article here. Pointing to Bible verses such as Ephesians 6, 5, slaves obey your masters, and then battled integration and interracial marriage, arguing that God meant for the races to be separated. The Washington Post continues, Bob Jones University, from which the founders of Pentecost, Pentecost, Pensacola Christian College graduated prohibited interracial dating until 2000. We've covered this on our podcast and and other episodes. (laughs) Homophobic policies are no different, except in that apparently people are still more accepting of them. One day, maybe the Catholic Church and the Church of England will treat its LGBTQ congregants as equals. Maybe even Pensacola Christian College will evolve. In the meantime, let's not be fooled by the quote unquote religious belief talk that it's just old-fashioned bigotry okay i'm gonna go on just a little tiny rant about pensacola christian college Uh, it won't it it will close its doors before it evolves same thing with bob jones university that place will shut down before it changes any of its policies about queer people they can walk on on grass at bob jones now and men can show their ankles but i won't go off because we have a future episode i'm gonna leave it alone (laughs) i'll leave it alone it's evolving nate it's evolving (laughs) yeah yeah oh yeah those are again bread this is a carrot it's a carrot on a stick Mm -hmm. yep and i wanted to i I wanted to read that article because when i hear talk of the shane claibornes and the beth moores and the christian kobe dumezes with their unaffirming stances i recognize and refuse to ignore the ways that they continue to cause harm Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they might be helpful for those taking baby steps, steps out, 
But we can't discount the harm they cause by how they lend credibility to unaffirming spaces with their stances. There's so much privilege involved in not taking a stand while other groups are being harmed. So white women in particular, this is what I wanted to get back to before with the comments you made about how they've harmed black men. But I think of white women um, fighting for their own self-interest and throwing other people under the bus to gain traction for their own goals. For example, Um, like a lot of these women who say they fight for equality, like Beth Moore, Beth Allison Bark, Dumez, if they took a stand and they didn't take a neutral or unaffirming stance, they would lose people from book sales. Yeah. It would cost them something. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other side sets up it up to discredit them if they take a stand against homophobia, for example, uh, to prove their heretics that you don't quote unquote, take the Bible seriously. But I think it should cost you to be an ally and it will cost you to be an ally. Just like it costs men something when they divest from patriarchy. You know, these women want men to divest of their privilege because it harms them, but they won't do that for other groups who need them to divest of their cishet privileges too. White women in America had black women marching alongside them for women's suffrage, for women to have the right to vote. And once white women won their equal rights, they ditched the fight for all the non-white women. And it took decades later and black women having to fight for themselves to have the same rights as white women who they once stood with, who were who basically just stopped marching once they got theirs. And this is often a semblance of wanting equality. But when it's only for your own, I think that crap needs to be called out for the harm it does and the way it uses people for self-serving interests. And I know it's not just white women. I mean, the Shane Claibornes of the world pull the same crap. Uh, it's a common thing. It's it's yeah, it's that equality that's only for yourself and it's about you. Um, so at the beginning of the of this episode, you mentioned something about the story of uh, of how we got our name. And how yeah, we, uh, I want to get into a became... bit of our story of how we met and, and uh, we'll, yeah. we'll give the short version. Yeah, um, we'll wrap we'll wrap up the podcast with this. OK, so full mutuality. How did we start off? How do we get our name? Um, I mean, I won't name names, but. There was a group that was, I hate the word egalitarian because of it. There are so many groups like the Beth Moores and whatever that are, you know, they're they're unaffirming. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, there's actually, I'll name a name. Uh, and this wasn't even the one that I'm going to be discussing, but there was a popular <laughs> one called Christians for Biblical Equality, CBE. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. they publish articles. They do a lot of different stuff. Um and yeah, that ties into our name. Actually, I'll just say that straightforward. They run an article called Mutuality, but it's only it's only for straight. They're unaffirming. Oh, uh, magazine. A magazine called Mutuality. So people are wondering, well, why did you pick full mutuality? Isn't that redundant? It is redundant, except in the when you're trying to deconstruct patriarchy inside evangelicalism, it's not to them. Mutuality just means me as a straight means, white woman. Yeah. It doesn't mean queer Cis-het women. Women equal to cishet men. Yeah. That's all it means. It's like it's a patriarchal bargain. It's like I'll we'll keep mm-hmm. oppressing gay people as long as you give us a little more power in in your structure, men. What patriarchy? You know, like it's that that whole we're gonna uphold patriarchy because queers take it down <laughs> and yeah. we discussed how. So we're just gonna, you know, lift us up as our white as white women and then yeah, we'll we'll stay oppressing uh, the gay people. So like that is where full mutuality came into as opposed to Mutuality. I was actually told straight up, you can't use mutuality. There's already a magazine with that title, so that's why I didn't pick it. Um, you and I met because there was, <laughs> there so was... you kind of stuck it to them. You were like, okay, if I can't use mutuality, Anyways, well, I'm cool. taking I'm taking your ass a step further. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. 
and and yeah so the i mean the the history of it is this this was a page that you a facebook page that you started years ago yes um, this is before i started podcasting with you mm-hmm. um basically i mean i i don't i didn't post stuff very publicly i don't my 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 pay, my facebook profile is it's my friends. It's people I know in real life. I do. I have networks of people um, who I've gotten to know and have Zoom calls with that I haven't met who I know better and different. Yeah, there's some people I don't know. Yeah. But in general, I try and keep my Facebook stuff smaller and private. Um, but I was always putting up my rants on stuff. And and people were like, oh, please make it shareable. And I'm like, that's not what I do. I don't put the stuff public. Yeah, so what I did is I created it. this page in order to not bombard everyone on my whole list with everything. Those who actually cared about these topics can go. I still do put stuff on my on my page. I just try and pace myself so people don't just block me off after a while and try and <laughs> silence me. I still want the good messages to get through to people who need to hear them. But right. um, I put like I have a lot of thoughts often on these topics. So I threw them on full mutuality and uh, way before we ever started podcasting under this name, I was running a page mm-hmm. and I, it's still there. And I, I'm usually more active on Facebook with sharing articles and stuff on Instagram. Which is so millennial of you. <laughs> I'm an old person. Nate's the younger <laughs> one. He's in his 30s. I'm in my 40s. I make it sound I'm like still, this. I'm still a geriatric millennial. <laughs> I like. I don't have much longer in my 30s. I make it sound like there's a huge age gap between us by yeah. saying you're in your 30s and I'm in my 40s. But there's... Yeah, you you just dipped your toe in your 40s and <laughs> I, like I, am, I am this close to out. saying goodbye to my 30s. So... Right. So, yeah. So I, that's where I, I was posting stuff. And um, and we met, you and I met because, um, I mean, you did have your Montreal Canadiens Habs jersey in your profile picture. And that yeah, got us, but this, audi- like, this audience doesn't care about that. So that, Okay, so I'll, I'll <laughs> stay off of that. But I mean, it is why I started talking to you. But you were posting on, that's where I saw you. You were posting on, um, we had a bunch of mutual ex-evangelical friends. And a lot of them were, and I won't, I won't identify the organization, um, there's multiple tied to, to into the yeah, scenario. They were they were like ex writers from from this from this particular organization that had had pulled some shit. <laughs> so we'll basically, I'll, I'll, no, I'll, I'll get those details. They were fighting for women's equality while being unaffirming. They had mm. harmed many other black women who have come on staff, and uh, and I won't name names only because the person who runs it is like she's Gail's trying to cancel me and she'll say that all the time about me yeah. and I'm like yeah. I don't really usually talk about you in fact it's probably the first time I'm bringing up this, this is the story first time this is the first time yeah we've ever mentioned her, and I'm but, not even uh, going to mention the organization yeah, yeah. but I want to say they in were unaffirming case. and they uh half their team members who I was friends with ended up resigning at the same time mm-hmm. um because of abuse and it was abuse from a woman towards other women and um, you know, some of these women were queer, um, and, and the way that they were silenced for being queer, like there was just, yeah, the inequality, it was like that, <laughs> that space yeah. where, where the equality is only one specific little tiny piece of it. And like we said, that's not like Martin Luther King said, that's not true equality We're interrelated. Mm-hmm. What affects one affects all indirectly. And, um, when they resigned, I encouraged them to tell their story, um, and uh, one of our one of our mutual friends on Facebook uh, helped them publish it. Uh, they they put up a blog and and detailed it. And um, you saw it and you commented. I didn't know you. That's where I first met you. Um, yeah. Was being supportive of these women who were your friends who were treated so badly, <laughs> um, and backing them up. Uh, and then I noticed your Habs jersey and I made a comment and then you took it to my DM smartly and wisely, not wanting to blow up. Habs being the Montreal Canadiens, <laughs> which is an tall. NHL team based out in, <laughs> uh, in Montreal. Yes. I'm, I'm a big hockey guy. Yes. You were talking earlier about your skating abilities, but as a Canadian, 
that works. <laughs> that works to your benefit. <laughs> like, ooh, skater, hockey guy. Yeah. Ooh. I'm a hockey. I'm a hockey player. I'm a hockey coach. That's yeah. Uh, that's that's a uh, hey. If any any of you Americans out there looking for a Canadian to to partner up with, go learn some. Go learn get, how to skate. Get, get those <laughs> uh, get those hockey skills. Learn how to play some hockey. Worked for me. <laughs> Worked for me. Totally how he snatched me up. But that's that's a little bit of our story of our begins. How we ended up yeah. as a long distance uh, dating couple for the last four years. Definitely yeah. not fun to do over no, uh, do a not, pandemic, I, closed border no. situation. I, I do not recommend dating across a country border in the midst of a pandemic. But we started if, over yeah. a year before we the did. pandemic. We, we, started, we had we started, no, who would have predicted? Like the countries have never closed their border in all of their history. And it had to be after we started dating each other. Very frustrating. We've been I feel like I feel like the universe was uh, was uh, targeting us. We have, we have, we have yeah. fought, conquered all odds and we have fought to be <laughs> It's so dramatic. Yeah. It really so, was know, dramatic. Yep. Yeah. I can't anyway. believe it's coming up on three years since since that happened, that societal trauma of the pandemic. Ooh. So if well, you all I mean, are feeling, you know, heavy lately, it's probably in your body. Your body remembers and keeps scoring. No, that. but wasn't there that study that said that? Uh, <laughs> oh, my you know, gosh. I got minimal... so angry the other day and I was telling Nate <laughs> that there was a study saying like people's mental health. Oh, I saw people. I saw people posting about you it. You did? Oh, it got me so yeah. angry. It was an article saying lot, people. Everybody's angry There was about a study it. saying that people's mental health wasn't affected negatively through the pandemic. I'm like, yeah. who? why would you make a study like this? Yeah. And who are you talking to? Like everyone yeah. I know was dramatically. Nate and I couldn't see each other for a year and a half. Well, I mean, you got special government permission after nine okay, months. Yeah, but, the, but all of that to say there are the millions of people were severely affected by right. this. So all of that, those had that to homeschool their kids, had to all kinds of stuff. A, yeah. There's probably a survey done by some, you know, some, some wanker yeah. to, to use the, uh, Oh, Ted Lasso comes out. Okay. Anyway, sorry. We got to, <laughs> We're gonna wrap this thing up before. Yeah, wrap this thing up. <laughs> maybe, maybe just maybe I'll just cue the the music and and say start au playing it. Yeah, and we'll uh, and we'll we'll catch you all on the flip side. Go Habs, go! Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think they won recently, but they're not doing so well right now. That wraps up another episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you don't already have one, head over to our website, fullmutuality.com, for a list of all the apps you can find us on. We couldn't do this without you, our listeners, so thank you so much for your continued support. Speaking of support, one of the best things you can do for us is to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. I'm pretty sure five-star reviews get you an extra crown in heaven. But seriously, if you found this episode insightful, spread the word and share it with your friends. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Full Mutuality. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. Podcast.